Well, good morning. Again, we're in Romans chapter 12, and uh, reading verses 9 through 13, but verse 12 is really our, uh, our focal point for this morning, and uh, the has three parts to it. It'll talk about rejoicing in hope. It'll talk about being patient in tribulation, being constant in prayer. Uh, but this morning, I want for us to think about those three uh, ideas or concepts as being held uh, together by how we get through life and how we get through some of the tougher uh, times in life, whether it's opposition or persecution, whatever it is, um, how we get through that and, and uh, talk about that a little bit later on. You know, when you go to the emergency room, you go there because you're hurting. You know, I, I don't go often. Uh, um, but upon occasion, I, I've, I've gone to the emergency room, and uh, frankly, uh, my condition was, was serious. It, it was terribly serious. On one occasion, I had broken my finger. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And I just didn't understand why that room didn't come to a standstill until they had treated my broken finger. Well, you know how it is. You go, you go to the emergency room, and you, you walk up to the little desk and you say, well, here, here, I'm, I'm here and here's, here's my problem. Here, here's what's going on. They say, well, just have a seat, wait for your name to be called. And almost instantly your name is called, right? They call, no, 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 seriously. They, they call your name and you go into this little room and the triage nurse talks to you. See? And you think this is going to go quickly because it was only a few minutes to get to triage when in point of fact all she's doing is figuring out how long she can make you wait. <laughs> You think I'm kidding. That's actually what she's doing. That's, that's what triage is all about. They're, they're, they're putting people into categories of this person must be seen right away or else they'll get worse. This person's fine. They can wait forever before we treat them. And by the way, the third category of triage, that's why it's called triage. The third category is you're going to die anyway, so why do we bother? But that, <laughs> by the way, the French came up with that, so that says something. But, uh, uh, but anyway, but when you're in the emergency room, your pain is yours. It doesn't matter if somebody else has more pain or their, their, their situation is more serious. All that matters is that I'm hurting, I'm in pain, you need to see me. Because after all, that's what I'm going through. And a lot of times in life, uh, that's where we are. It doesn't really help much for a triage nurse to come on and say, well, you know, there's other people who are suffering worse. Well, that's true, but I'm suffering now. You know, it doesn't really help to say, well, you know, there's some people who have like a really, really bad situation. Yeah, but mine's bad enough for me. See, so our own personal struggles, our own personal heartaches and pains, the challenges and things that we go through, they're ours and they're important to us and they hurt. And while it helps to have perspective that, you know, maybe it's not the worst in the world, it also means that we, we need a way to get through that. We need a way to get through the pressures of life. And what I want for us eventually this morning to look at is how our hope in Jesus Christ gets us through the valleys, the hard times, uh, the challenges of life, persecution, um, opposition, those kinds of things. So that's, that's sort of where we're going this morning. That's why we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 9, verse uh, 12, rejoice in hope, um, and be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. That's why we're going to be looking at that. 
Right. So let's um, back up and read verses 9 through 13 to just sort of, again, have this in our head as we're looking at what it means to be a Romans 12 Christian, what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ whose life is shaped by the, the things that Romans 12 talks about. And the, these are the um, uh, sort of the trajectories of how we live as believers in Jesus Christ. It's all based on verse 1 of chapter 12, the mercies of God. And so we read 9 through 13. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. As we come to our prayer time, um, this, is, this is a season in our nation's calendar when we pause to remember those who have uh, given their lives in service to our country, really have, have given their lives so that we can be here today worshiping. And so far, we don't have to post uh, people at the door to see if the police are coming after us. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world today worship with joy, but they worship with an attentive ear watching to see if the police are coming. We live in a, in a country that is still free at the moment. Um, it's, it's not guaranteed, folks. Our freedom was purchased with a price, and and men and women gave their lives so that we might worship today free from fear. That price was paid in blood, is paid by families today for whom there's an empty spot at the table. It was paid by families who have been separated as one member has been deployed and the others are making do as well they can. Um, facing that. There are so many people that we need to remember um, who have paid a price and who are continuing to pay a price that we might worship in freedom. So let's bow together in prayer. And Father, we do thank you that you have planted it in the hearts of many of our countrymen to serve, to give, to sacrifice all that the freedom that you have given to us might be enjoyed in our world and our country today. The Father, we understand that this is a precious freedom that must be safeguarded not only on the battlefield, but also in the heart and in the mind, in our discussions with one another. Father, that we need to live out that freedom and make sure that it is safeguarded for all. Father, I thank you for those who have given their lives in service that we might worship freely. I thank you for their families. Pray a blessing upon those who are separated now. Uh, for the sake of serving us. Pray a blessing upon them and watch care and safety. And, Father, that you would be glorified through it all. But, Father, we especially thank you that you gave us your Son, Jesus Christ, and that he gave on our behalf his life on the cross, dying in our place so that we might live. We thank you for the gift of Jesus and pray in his name. The town that has... a um, like 100 acres or so that's been restored to its colonial condition. Uh, Williamsburg was the capital of Virginia prior to the American Revolution. Uh, and so um, uh, some folks got together, used Rockefeller money, 
and uh, they rebuilt a lot of the houses and structures so that you can go there now and basically walk around and experience what it was like to be in colonial America just prior to the American Revolution. So uh, Debbie and I have been there several times. Many of you have been there, no doubt. Yes, thank you. Okay, one of you has been there. And so, but uh, on one of those occasions when we were there, uh, we just fell into this sort of interesting conversation as we went from exhibit to exhibit. We went to the governor's palace and uh, saw all the ornate stuff there and everything. And uh, one of the things the tour guide said was, this is where you can come if you have a grievance against the government or a grievance in the community. You come and you can share it with the governor and anybody can come here as long as they are free, white, male, 21, and a member of the Church of England. I turned to Debbie and I said, we couldn't come here. We're Baptists. They don't want to hear from us. Still don't. <laughs> anyway, that was interesting. So then we went down to Bruton Parish Church, which is a restored uh, Anglican church, Church of England uh, parish. And uh, we we're inside the building. A lot of reasons to talk about the building, a lot of uh, uh, good illustrations in there. But uh, the, the tour guide was, uh, was talking to us and said, now here's the place where you would come and hear all the news. The notices, the announcements would all be, would be announced here at Bruton Parish Church. And I turned to Debbie and I said, we wouldn't be here. We're Baptists. They don't want us here. And so we never knew what was going on. Still don't. <laughs> but uh, then we walked down the avenue and to the other end and we went into the state house. And there we saw the legislative body, the chamber where they met, and we were told this is American democracy at work, and Patrick Henry and Thomas Jefferson and all those guys. And uh, this, is, this is where it happened, and you could come and you could be represented here, and you could be a member of this legislation, legislator as long as you were you know, free, white, 21, male, and belong to the Church of England. I said, Debbie, they don't want us here either. <laughs> yeah, they still don't, right? But uh, they, they, you know, we're, we're Baptists. They don't want us here. And so we went across the way and we went to the courthouse. And there in the courthouse, we were told, well, this is where you could get justice. If you were uh, accused of a crime, you would come here and you would be judged by a jury of your peers as long as you were free white male over 21 and possessed property and were a member of the Church of England. I said to Debbie, we could never get a fair trial here. We're Baptists. I mean, wherever we went, it was always this Church of England thing. They didn't want us. Until we traveled down the, the, the little pathway past the, the courthouse and came to the jail. <laughs> and uh, there at the jail, the, the, the guide was, was telling us everything about how it operated and how it worked. And I fell into a conversation with her and I said, is this where I would find the Baptists? And without missing a beat, she said, absolutely, this is where the Baptists are. <laughs> you see, prior to the American Revolution, if you wanted to preach the gospel in Virginia, you had to be licensed by the state government. Now, there's one thing we Baptists believe, and that is separation of church and state. We do not believe the government has any right to intrude into the body of Christ. And so, back then, if you were a Baptist preacher, you didn't go get a license that said you were certified, that you were okay to talk. No, you just got on a tree stump somewhere and started talking to people about Jesus. 
And when you did, the authorities would come, they would arrest you, and they would throw you in jail. I know some of you are thinking, that's a pretty good system. We throw the preacher in jail. But, but anyway, you, you would get thrown into jail because you were preaching without a license. You were saying things that weren't authorized as being politically correct by the government. Fortunately, that never happens now. But as I talked to the tour guide, she said, well, actually, you would be thrown in jail. You would be kept there. And there were only two crimes for which you could be thrown into jail and kept there. See, most people were sent to jail, and they stayed there until they had their trial. And then after your trial, if you were guilty, there were only two kinds of punishment. One, they would humiliate you, put you in the stocks, you know, that kind of thing, or or whip you or something like that. So you could either be humiliated or you could be hung. There was no in-between. They weren't going to send you to a prison. They weren't going to put you in some penitentiary where you were supposed to contemplate the error of your ways and come out a better person. That comes later with the Quakers in, in Pennsylvania uh, and Philadelphia State Penitentiary. I'm getting off into, into penal history here. But anyway, but, but the theory at the time was if you committed a crime, we either punish you, humiliate you, and it's over, or we hang you, and it's over. But there were two crimes for which you were thrown into jail and kept there. One was debt. If you were a debtor, wouldn't pay your debts, they put you in jail until you paid your debts. That didn't make a lot of sense because there were no license plates back then, but, <laughs> but actually the idea was your family would pay the debt for you to try to get you out of jail, which is why you needed to be nice to your family before they did that. But So you could be thrown into jail and kept there if you were a debtor. And the other crime, there were only two crimes, but the other crime for which you could be thrown into jail and kept there was for preaching the gospel without a license. And that's where you found Baptist. And there were a lot of sermons preached through those prison bars in colonial Virginia. I bring this up simply to remind us that we're not that far away from the day when persecution came in an overt governmental way towards believers in Jesus Christ. The pages of church history have always had those governments, those powers, those authorities who have opposed the the, the things of Christ, who have opposed the church, who have tried to stifle the gospel. Even today, there's persecution all over the world. Our brothers and sisters in Christ suffering in great ways because of their faith in Jesus and how thankful we should be for our freedom today and understand that it can be taken away just that quickly if we are not vigilant in, in guarding it. But Christians have always suffered persecution Some of you have suffered opposition and persecution because of your faith. There are some in this room that the moment you became a Christian, your family rejected you. The moment you became a believer in Jesus Christ, the people you had grown up with, the family that was supposed to love you, uh, they decided that you were persona non grata. You you just better go somewhere else and don't talk about that Jesus. You're you're an oddball, and they, they sort of almost kicked you out of the family. Maybe they did literally. There are some here who have suffered because of your Christian faith and in your dealings at at work or in business. There are those who who had less than Christian values who were not following the the, the laws and the morality and the ethics that the Bible would teach. And, And you stood up and you said something on behalf of Christ and you said something about justice and righteousness. And the next thing you knew it, you had an office without a window and nothing to do and they were just trying to muscle you out. There are some of you who know what it means to be persecuted because of your faith in Jesus Christ. I dare say most of us know what it is to have suffered opposition and rejection on some level because we have aligned ourselves with Christ. And that comes our 
way. You see, Jesus told his disciples just before he was arrested, he said, among other things, but he said to them, in this world you have tribulation. In this world you have tribulation. And that, that word tribulation, we actually don't use it except in a religious setting very much. But that word tribulation in the Greek, it meant pressure. In this world you have pressure pushing down on you, pinching you, squeezing you. It's, it, it, if you want the, the, the picture that's usually given is, is of taking a, a watermelon seed and pinching it between your fingers before it flies across the room. And, and so today when you come to our country fair, uh, if we have watermelon and we have watermelon seed fights, uh, you're actually living out the Bible. <laughs> but, but it's that, that idea of pressure that's just squeezing you down and just crushing the life out of you. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Now, understand, Jesus said a lot of things. He said, in, in this world, if, if you come to me, I'll give you living water and out of your belly, out of, out of the very deepest, inmost part of you, you'll have living water just gushing forth. He said things to people who are blind like, we'll see again. He said to those who were deaf, what do you hear now? And they could hear. He would reach out and touch the leper. He would, he would just cleanse those who were in need of cleansing. He would hug those who were in need of hugging. He would, he would uh, just reach out to the unreachable. Jesus was all about these positive kinds of things, and we rejoice in them. But understand, Jesus also said, in this world, because of me, you'll have tribulation. Not only that, if you're going to follow me, you need to take up a cross. You remember that, don't you? He said, if you're going to be my disciple and my follower... You're going to take up this instrument of crucifixion, of execution, this, this symbol of death. When Jesus said, take up a cross, he wasn't saying, getting a nice piece of jewelry. He was saying, put on your back the mark of belonging to me and the willingness to suffer for me and even to give your life for me. In this world, you have tribulation, and to follow Jesus is to bear a cross even unto death. It's a call to, to follow Jesus in that way. And so the persecution is going to come to us. The opposition is come to, going to come to us. The pressures of life come to us. You know, some of the pressures of life just come to us because our world is broken. When Adam and Eve sinned, when our first parents sinned, they broke the universe. You know? And things like disease and disaster became, you know, just, just in, in, infringed onto human life and just started to take life out of us. And sometimes the things we suffer and the things that, that we're going through is because this world is broken. By the way, thank God when Jesus comes again, the whole universe is put back together again. And all of creation will sing his praises for all eternity. But sometimes we suffer because, because the world is broken. Sometimes we suffer because other people are broken, you know, and they're, they're sort of um, imposing their brokenness and their sinfulness, and maybe they're, 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 they're evil, and, and um, maybe their confusion, whatever it is, they're, they're imposing that on us, and we're suffering because somebody else is broken. Occasionally and sometimes we suffer because we are broken and we have done things and we have in, in, engaged in, in, in uh, uh, certain decisions that have led to a brokenness and our lives are breaking apart. So the, 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 the suffering and the opposition and the persecution, the tribulation, the pressure comes from many sources. But when as a believer in Jesus Christ, we come into those moments of pressure, we don't come without a plan and we don't come without a resource. I want for us to remember that Paul wrote in, in Romans 12, verse 12, he said, rejoice in hope 
and be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. And those are the three things I want for us to think about. See, in the midst of pressure, Paul says, I want you to rejoice in hope. Now, hope is the hallmark of the Christian believer. Our hope is beyond just the things of the world. It's not just, well, I hope I get through life, or I hope I pass this exam, or I hope I get a job, or I hope this, or I hope that. You know, th- those are the parts of our lives, and take them to God in prayer. But our grand and glorious hope is this, that God the Father would be glorified in our lives. Our hope is that God would be glorified through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is our hope, and that's a hope unshakable. That is not a hope that is maybe will happen. That is a hope that is certain and sure. Our hope is in the glory of the Father. Our hope is in the glory of the Son who one day will return and he'll bring all of creation unto himself. He'll bring history to a close and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That is our hope, unshakable. And that's how we live. That is the default position of the Christian believer, that our hope is beyond anything this world has, and it is a certain hope in the glory of the Father and the Son. Our hope is in the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that makes all things possible, the Holy Spirit that gives us resources, the Holy Spirit that guides and empowers us, the Holy Spirit that works out the will of the Father in our lives. Our hope is in the Holy Spirit. And we don't just think that maybe the Holy Spirit will work, but God has promised as a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is planted in our hearts to accomplish the will of God in us. See, that is our hope. That's the default position of the Christian believer. And Paul says, rejoice in that hope. There are other things that might try to take the joy out of your life. And there there are things that, that are constantly coming at us, and they're not real joyful kinds of things. But our hope is in Jesus Christ. See, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We have a joyful, joyful hope that looks beyond the moment and sees the eternal purposes of God. Now, that works out in very real ways. I want to illustrate that for you in the book of Acts. If you have your scripture, you may turn to Acts chapter 16. If not, I will actually read it for you. But uh, we'll get to verse 25 in a second. But in Acts 16, Paul and Silas have gone to the city of Philippi. And there they've encountered a girl who has what the Bible says is a spirit of divination. That is that uh, she would somehow foretell the future. Now, I suspect what happened is that this girl was terribly tortured by this spirit within her, and she was just just totally dysfunctional, and she would go off the rails. And the people who owned her, because she was a slave, her owners then would sort of finagle the crowd into thinking, ah, she's she's predicting your future uh, in in that kind of way. So it it was sort of a scam, but it worked out well for the owners because they were making a lot of money off this girl. Well, Paul and Silas, to shorten the story, drive the demon out. They drive the spirit of divination, divination out of this girl. And for the first time in her life, she is whole. For the first time in her life, she's able to function. For the first time in her life, she, you know, it starts to live like a human being ought to live. And instead of rejoicing, the owners look at at that and they say, our source of income is gone. I feel a nasty little lawsuit coming on. They run to the, the magistrate 
And they tell the magistrate, this Paul, this Silas, look what they're doing. They're messing up the economy. They're, they're, they're destroying our city. They're talking about a God we shouldn't worship. This is terrible, terrible, terrible. And the magistrates, they don't pause to ask Paul and Silas anything. They have them beaten and thrown in jail. And not just in jail, the jailer takes them and he throws them into the inner jail. They, they don't have a room with a view. There's no windows. The door closes. It's pitch dark. And not only that, their hands and their feet are shackled in chains. And so there's Paul and Silas in the darkest prison, the hands and feet bound in chains because of injustice, because of governmental power run amok. It is unfair. Now, I'm telling you what I'm doing at that moment. Yeah, you're doing the same thing. Mumble, mumble, mutter, grumble. I'm telling God why this is wrong and unfair. And I'm just letting God have it. But I want you to look at Acts 16, verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. See, Paul and Silas went right to the default position of hope and joy. They went to the default position of singing praises to God and joyfully just making the, the gospel known in their music. And the, the prisoners are listening to this. In other words, they, they've gone not to where we go as human beings, but they've gone to where the Spirit leads, that is to rejoice in the Father for the glory of the Father, even in the darkest prison, chained hand and foot for an unjust reason. Now, you're probably saying, well, I know the rest of the story, though, because as they're singing, the earthquake comes, the chains fall off, and the doors open, and Paul and Silas are, are taken out by the, the jailer, and he becomes a Christian, and everything's fine. Okay, fine. That's true. That's what the Bible says. But I want you to notice this. At verse 25, before you get to verse 26 where the earthquake is, Paul and Silas don't know what's coming. You know, it's not like they sang one verse of Jesus loves me and the, and the earthquake came. They were there for hours. And for all they knew, they'd be there for days and months. For all they knew, they would die there. And they were singing hymns of praise to God because they went to the default position of hope and the glory of the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit and rejoicing in that <coughs> hope. That's the reality of it. And so back to Romans 12, Paul says, I, I want you to rejoice in hope. Always rejoice in hope. This isn't just the, oh, wow, things are going great, rejoice in hope. It is the hope that saves us beyond anything that could happen to us and having joy in that hope. And then he goes on and he says, patient in tribulation. In, patience, in, in, in tribulation, having patience. Now, that word for patience has to do with endurance. Just sticking in there, seeing it through. Uh, patience is something that a lot of people say they don't have. Maybe you've said, I don't have any patience. I'm going to tell you, you do have patience. You absolutely do have patience. I can prove it to you. If I put you in a line and say, this line is going to take an hour. Say, I don't have patience for that. No, if you take this, this line and an hour later when you get to the other end of it, I'm going to give you a million dollars, you'll have plenty of patience. See, it's not that you lack patience, you lack motivation. So like when you go buy Chick-fil-A and the line's wrapped around the building, I hate lines. 
I mean, that's, that's sort of like just an organized bumper-to-bumper uh, -bumper traffic where you pay them for the privilege. But, <laughs> but I get in that line. Why? Why? Because there's Chick-fil-A at the end of it. <laughs> right? I mean, come on. See, patience comes from the right motivation. And when you have your eyes set upon Jesus Christ, when you have that hope and the joy of that hope within you, you can endure anything because you know at the other end of it is the glory of God. It might not work out in this life the way we think it would, but God will be glorified. That's what Paul means when he says being patient, enduring in the midst of that tribulation, of that pressures of life, hanging in there because of the greater hope and glory and joy that we have. You know, a good, good uh, way to think about that uh, takes us to the book of Daniel. Again, I'll read this for you, but it's found in Daniel chapter 3, and uh, right around verse 17, we'll look at that. What has happened here is that uh, three of Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, have um, been taken to Babylon, and the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, has said, everybody's got to worship this God. I'm, I've set it th up this idol. Everybody's got to worship the God because the king says so. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, well... I don't think so. You know, we, we know the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're not going to worship this God. Thank you very much, King. We're worshiping the true God. Well, there's folks who run to the king and say, oh, you got to see these three Hebrew guys. They're, they're not worshiping the idol king. They're an insult to you. And the king says, oh, 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 you know, how, how can these people dare do that? And he calls in the three boys and says, what's this I hear? And he says, no, we're not, we're not going to worship. Well, you know, we're going we're gonna to throw you into a fiery furnace. You know, we're going to incinerate you. Now, incinerators are pretty hot things. I know this because I worked in a hospital. And uh, one of my jobs, I, I, I was a porter. No, I, I was actually a janitor. And, and my job, one of my jobs was to take the surgical waste or the medical waste and the little red bag, you know what I'm talking about? The, the little red bag. And it was to take it, and you weren't allowed to just throw it out so the truck took it away. You had to throw it into the uh, in, incinerator down in the basement. And that was one hot incinerator. I mean, you couldn't get close to it. You sort of opened the, the door and stood back real fast because the, the heat would just blast out. I'm telling you, I never put one of those bags in there. I threw them in. I threw them in from a distance. And if I missed, well, as far as you know, I never missed. <laughs> All right? If anybody asks you, you're going to say, as far as I know, he never missed. Okay. But I, I wasn't going to try twice for, for a couple of reasons. I figured, well, the thing splattered on the side and it just, the plastic melting, it, it's hot enough to burn it. It's, 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 <laughs> but, but the king says to the, these Hebrew boys, he says, I'm going to throw you in the incinerator if you don't change your mind. And at that point, then, in verse, seven, well, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and they said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Verse 17. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That's great faith in him. God can deliver us. God can get us out of this. King, we're not afraid of you. God can get us out of this fiery furnace. We're not afraid, king. But I want you to see verse 18. But if not. He says, God can deliver us, but he might not. God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing. And he's able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, 
I want you to know we will not serve your gods. We're not going to cave. God can deliver us. He can give us that deliver, deliverance on this side of, of, of heaven. He can get deliverance on this earth in our lives today. He can give us that deliverance. But let me tell you something. Even if not, he's still worthy of all praise and glory and honor. Even if he doesn't, we will not break stride with the will of God in our lives. Even if he doesn't, we will not lose sight of who Jesus Christ is. Even if not, we won't serve your God, King. Again, you're going to say, well, yeah, but the rest of the story, they got thrown in the furnace, they walked around, they, they, uh, they talked to a fourth character there, they came out, it was, everything worked out fine. They did not know that when they talked to the king. See, we, we know the end of these stories, and that's why we don't get the full impact of it. If you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're saying, now, God can deliver us, but it doesn't matter whether he does or not. All that matters is that he is glorified, and we're going to worship him no matter what. That's the default position of hope in God, rejoicing in that hope, and that's how you endure. You return to the default position of the Christian believer, and that is that God deserves all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. And so that's why then Paul, at the end of, of verse 12 in, in Romans chapter 12, uh, he says, and I want you to continue in prayer or, or be... Um, uh, constant in prayer. Just, just don't ever stop praying because praying is how you link up to God in a particular situation and link up to the default position of hope in his glory. See, it's in prayer where you first pause and adore him and just absolutely give him all the honor and praise that you can. You just recognize how wondrously beautiful he is and you simply marvel at the magnificence of God and you just wonder at the wisdom of his sovereignty. In prayer, you get in touch with who God is. And then in prayer, you get in touch with who you are. You confess who you are. And you, you realize, okay, there's some things I'm missing here. There's, there's, there's some things that I need. There, there, you know, I, I, I want to latch on to, to this hope and the glory of God, but I can't do it. Father, you're going to have to help me on that. And we, we confess who we are. And then we give God thanksgiving and praise that he's already worked out the answer. We just lay out our lives before God. See, prayer is how we are connected up to the glory of the Father in a particular situation. I'll give you just one example, and that's Jesus Christ, who on the cross never stopped praying. At the moment when our sins separated him from the Father and caused him the deepest agony that the Son could ever know, at that moment when he was left derelict, because of our sin, he cried out to God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There was a God-forsaken experience on our behalf. And by the way, he suffered that so that we never have to. And it was to his father that he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Jesus never stopped praying because that's how he connected to the father in the midst of the greatest trial any human being ever suffered. And so, you know, when the persecution comes, when the trial comes, when, when life is pressing you down, the default position is hope in the glory of God through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit and rejoicing in that hope. That's how we endure the pressure and we experience that and go through that through a constancy in prayer. 
And as I thought about this passage of Scripture, I thought, you know, in my life, what, what this means is I just need to stop and, and go through that exercise. And, and uh, normally I would say something like sometime this week, you know, stop and pray. And all that. No, I'm going to give you very specific. At 8.35 tomorrow morning, set your alarm clock. 8.35 tomorrow morning, I want you to stop and rejoice in your hope in Jesus Christ and just give your life to God afresh. And that thing that's in front of your head that you think is so big, I just want you to surrender it to God. Say, God, you can deliver me, but even if you don't, I'm going to give you praise, honor, and glory. So that at least at one moment on one day this week, you will be going through the persecution for the glory of the Father. And by the way, I think it'll be addictive. I think you'll start doing that more and more because that's how we survive. That's how we get through the persecution. That's how we get through the opposition. That's how we face the pressures of life. Hope in the Father through the Son by the Spirit, rejoicing constantly in prayer. Let's bow together. And Father, how thankful we are that before tomorrow comes, you've already charted the course for us, that before the sun comes up tomorrow morning, you will already have designed the day that we might honor you and glorify you in it. Thankful, Father, that you are sovereign over all. We just pray that you would give to us the courage of faith to trust you, to follow you, to be found obedient in all things to you. Father, we just pray that you give us the courage of faith that in the midst of trial and tribulation, we would always set our sight, our eyes on things above where Christ is seated at your right hand. Father, fill our vision with your glory that we might be found for your praise. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.